0: and part of the Christians for Liberty Network. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I am very excited today to finally be able to release to you the main stage event that Dr. Norman Horn was a part of that LCI sponsored at Freedom Fest in July, 2023 in Memphis, Tennessee. The makeup of the panel was Rich Lowry from National Review, Brian Kaplan from George Mason University, an author of Open Borders and a guest on our show, and our very own Dr. Norman Horn, And it was moderated by Reason's Nick Gillespie. After the event, we got a lot of positive feedback from attendees at Freedom Fest who were there at the event. And we also had a lot of positive feedback about what we were saying about nationalism and Christian nationalism at our breakout session. The breakout session is still being edited, and we will have that released as soon as we can. But without further ado, here's the main stage session called Resurging Nationalism, a Threat to Human Flourishing. I hope you enjoy. You know
1: find- Hi, everybody. As Kennedy said, I'm Nick Gillespie with Reason. We've got a great panel from the Libertarian Christian Institute. Is the surge in nationalism a threat to human flourishing? I want to welcome our panelists, Rich Lowry, who's the editor-in-chief of National Review and the author of The Case for Nationalism, Brian Kaplan, a professor of economics at GMU, George Mason University, and the co-author of Open Borders, and Norman Horn, the founder and president of the Libertarian Christian Institute. All right, guys, we're going to sit down and we're going to start yapping. All right, let's start with you, Rich. You have written a book called The Case for Nationalism. Give us your thoughts on is the rise in nationalism a threat to human flourishing?
2: No, it's not. So let's start with the basic definition of what nationalism is. Basic idea, a distinct people should govern a distinct territory. And if we're talking about resurgent nationalism, nationalism has been resurgent since the 19th century. It defines the modern world, and especially the post-World War II norm that we should have peoples governing sovereign territories with sanct-, sanct borders has been associated with an unprecedented era of peace and prosperity across the world. The main threat to human flourishing at the moment, and certainly international peace, is resurgent neo-imperialism, which we see most starkly with Russia's neo-imperial project invading a nationalist Ukraine. You look here domestically, the locust of the very worst ideas, most threatening to our liberty and our constitutional order, are coming from a left that is deeply suspicious and hostile to the nation state, including our own nation state. And then you see, obviously, we live in a time of rising tribalism. The answer to the left's identity politics and of fringe rights version of identity politics, is a loyalty to something higher, to our country that is above sect or tribe, to ourselves as equal and free citizens of the greatest nation and the greatest nation state that's ever existed, the United States of America. Okay. Thank you. Well put. Brian Kaplan,
1: Mr. Open Borders, Dr. Mm -hmm. Open Borders, what about you? Is resurging nationalism a threat to human flourishing?
3: I mean, what Rich is really trying to do is to win this debate by definition. If you go over to Russia, will they say they're imperialists? No, they'll say they're nationalists. They'll say, why? Because Ukrainians are actually really Russian. They're just confused about it. When you say it's the idea that a distinct people should rule a distinct territory— Well, which people, which territory is always under debate. We can see what happened when nationalism rose in the 19th and 20th centuries. We had a bunch of wars because people could not agree over what the distinct peoples were or what the distinct territories were, and so they had to go and kill each other. I think a much better way of thinking about nationalism is that there are some basic human emotions that are bad. We have emotions like envy, but then people go and take these basic emotions and turn them into a philosophy. And when you turn a bad emotion into a philosophy, you make it much worse. You start with the emotion of envy, and you get the philosophy of socialism. Similarly, you take the emotion of tribalism, which is something that almost all human beings feel. I feel it too. My family's my tribe. Therefore, whatever I can do for them is okay. But as long as it's just an emotion, it's not so bad. We have other emotions, there's other norms that can go and override it. As soon as you turn it into a philosophy, though, then it becomes something like nationalism, and then it becomes an excuse for doing terrible things. My country, right or wrong? This I would say is the real definition, or it is the essence of nationalism, It's saying I'm part of a tribe, whatever my tribe does is okay. If you happen to be lucky and you're on the one best tribe in the universe, then maybe you'll do fine. But to say that for everybody to do this is a good thing is just crazy, because who are the other people? The other people are the ones who think that their nation is the one best one in the world and that they can do no wrong. So yes, nationalism is indeed a threat. And if you take a look at the actual problems in the world internationally, yes, Russia is obviously about Russian nationalism. You can call it imperialism if you don't agree. We have worries about Chinese nationalism. We have worries about many other nationalisms in the world. Just to say that it doesn't count unless I say that it's a bad kind is really a cop-out. Thank you.
1: Okay, uh, Norman, what about you? What's the uh, Christian perspective on nationalism?
3: (laughs) Well, I would like to, first
4: of all, thank my two fellow panelists here and the opportunity to do this, but in our view- But you're
1: not gonna thank me.
4: You know I all love right. you, sir. Hey. <laughs> all
1: right, that's all right.
4: In our view at the Libertarian Christian Institute in particular, we think that a little nationalism goes a really long way. And because if we're talking about just an expression of our preference for the people around us, the land we grew up in, the types of things that we, we enjoy doing together, even our fellow libertarians like this gathering, well, there's nothing wrong with expression of those preferences. And there's nothing wrong with even desiring those interests above necessarily others on some level. However, the problem really comes is that when we enable that national sentiment or that nationalism to begin to justify the initiation of force against others. And this is really complicated or further complicated when we begin to incorporate the nation state itself. And that because the state itself has founded it as a monopoly of force, it tends to leverage those types of sentiments into consolidations of its own power. And we've seen this time and time again, not just in, in world history, but even in American history at times, where national sentiment or nationalism is levered in order to garner power to people at the top and at the expense of individual rights, both at home and even abroad. We see that in aggressive war on a regular basis, of course. And so for the Christian, at least, we kind of realize that there is one and one best hope in order to fight this. And that's not just to have a national sentiment that looks a little different, but really to hold fast to a series of principles that make all the difference in how we treat every person around us, not just the people who we grew up with, not just the land of our birth, but the way that we think about everybody in a more comprehensive manner. And in Galatians chapter three, that's a brief quote, it says, there is no Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so this is the way that we think about it. So is nationalism a threat to human flourishing? Well. It does depend on how you define it on some level, but ultimately, the best thing that we can do is hold fast to a series of principles that guard against the most egregious forms of what can happen when it gets out of control.
1: Rich, to uh, follow up and, and let you know, people feel free to jump in and ask each other questions, but you make a good point when you say the answer to tribalism and to a kind of low-level mm-hmm. identity politics that scatters us is loyalty to a higher group or a higher identity, Does it matter what that higher thing is? Because when you were saying, oh, so like Islam. Islam is a transnational, transcultural phenomenon. The Roman Catholic Church is. But that isn't, like, does it matter what the nation that you are identifying that's what you're allegiant to, and that's what makes us all similar.
2: Of course, of course. And look, there are better and worse forms of nationalism. There are better and worse forms of love. Love is a deep human emotion. It can also be distorted, become lust, it become controlling. It can lead to horrible crimes, crimes of passion. Do we say therefore, love is bad? Let's not have anyone love anyone. No, that th- so love's what, natural. What is, the same way. Is, hold on. The same way that loyalty, a sense of commonness common purpose and identity with people you live with in a distinct territory is natural. So if you say this should go away, it's never going to go away. And there are better and worse forms of it. I agree. Let's have a better form of it. And to Brian's point, it leads to conflict. Yes, that lots of things in human existence lead to conflict. I'll give you an idea of a conflict over whether there is a distinct territory or not that should govern itself. It happened around 1775, 1776. There were these terrible, small-minded people who thought they had become a distinct nation and should be respected as such and be independent. And they were called our founding fathers. And the, the, uh, and the British had a different idea. So I think what's the limiting principle that would lead Brian to say that the British weren't right? that uh, these small-minded people weren't wrong and that they were ungrateful, they were warlike, they were fighting people, which was bad, just to have their own independence and sovereign nation. Can't have that. Brian, do you want to respond to that? I'll bite the bullet, sure. American independence
3: was a big mistake. It's not worth shedding blood over this. The British are not that bad. People are crazy. They got, what really, what they got really worked yeah. up over some minor issues, and it's very plausible <laughs> it would have been better if the U.S. had stayed part of the U.K. No, it, pro- no problem there.
1: What about the Soviet Union? Hmm? So, you know, should Ukraine have lobbied to leave the Soviet Union? And do under your sense of nationalism is a bad thing, like, how do you decide to leave an oppressive regime or empire?
3: Yeah, great question. So that's where I would just go to the point of it's not about nationalism or which tribe or who should govern who. It's about are you actually going to do a better job? If you if by getting independence, when you say, first of all, we'll do better, and second of all, we can get out peacefully, then great. If you need to have a bloody civil war in order to get out, then yeah, it's almost never better to get out because civil wars are about the worst thing that happens on earth, But sure, like the Baltics were able to get out peacefully. It was very reasonable to think they would govern themselves a lot better than they were in the Soviet Union. So support that, but not in the name of nationalism, in the name of improvement.
2: So hypothetically, just just, if we could have a North American empire governed from Mexico City, let's just stipulate for the hypothetical, the people in Mexico City are better at governing than the people in Washington, D.C. You'd be fine with the United States being governed as part of an empire with its locus in Mexico City. If it can start peacefully, absolutely, why not? If they're
3: like, I'm happy to learn from people in other countries. Often I discover, wow, there's someone from another country who knows better than me. Now, this does not mean that I want to have a civil war to make this happen, because like I said, civil wars are about the worst thing in the world, so almost anything you can do to avoid them is a good idea, which is why the anti-colonial movements were all so terrible. What are they doing? They want to get their independence so they can go and make things worse, great idea.
2: I I admire your consistency.
4: So I'm anti-war to the core. But I do think that there's something unique about the American DNA, if you will, that kind of builds these principles back into us. And actually, I think that Rich's book does a really interesting job of kind of laying that out. And even though I disagree with Rich on a number of levels, I think he makes a great case for that particular point. What I really want to kind of emphasize, though, is that the fact that we have those principles is the primary way that we defend against the kind of resurging nationalism here. Because of these, there's so many instances and so many ways in which the consolidation of power at the top can then try to abuse the level of that sentiment into something that is absolutely warped. Can I ask you, I think we would probably all agree to some extent that, to the extent that
1: Russia is invading Ukraine, part of it is imperial, part of it is nationalistic, you know, this should be part of Russia, et cetera. In the United States, where do you see
4: negative outcomes from people promoting nationalism? Well, I think it actually happens in kind of two ways. One is that you see it on on the right and this kind of partial kind of nativist mentality that we even see this amongst our fellow Christians at times. And in fact, we're going to be having a panel later about so-called Christian nationalism. And I hope all of you will join us for that. It's a very different kind of discussion is what we're doing here, but it's also very important. But in some sense, the changing culture among us, you could argue on some level that The way that the the woke left is operating is trying to kind of form their own sort of neo-nationalist movement internally to that because they see a different vision of America. They see a different way of rising up and trying to take a different tact on power.
0: Hey, folks, I just want to take a break from our episode to not do an advertisement because we don't do advertisements, although I guess you could call this an advertisement. I'm going to ask you to consider becoming an LCI Insider. We want everyone to feel engaged and excited about what LCI is doing. And the best way to do that is if you become a monthly supporter at $20 or more per month, you will become what we're calling our LCI insiders. You get some free gifts. You get an exclusive Crisis King magnetic lapel pin. They give you two copies of Faith Seeking Freedom. We send monthly eBooks months ahead of when they're released on our public website You can get discounts on our swag on our online store, and you get exclusive invites to our quarterly live streams with the LCI staff. In addition to that, whenever we do publish something like a physical book like Strangers with a Candy, we'll also send you those as well. So the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing and to support what the Libertarian Christian Institute is doing, including supporting the podcast you're listening to right now, is to become an LCI Insider. So to do that, go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate and then choose recurring monthly gift and you'll be added to our list automatically. Thank you for your support and I'll let you get back to the podcast.
1: Rich, do you see any negative problems, say on the right or in nationalist movements in the United States?
2: Well, again, it depends on what exactly we're talking about. The guys carrying tiki torches in Charlottesville are an atrocity, right? right? They imagine themselves a kind of nationalist, a white nationalist, I would argue that's a contradiction in terms in the American experience. And true nationalism, true democratic nationalism, is above sect and tribe. It do, speaks to, you, a big, I mean, I, a to a big national togetherness. I
1: agree to a large extent with you. How do you do that in a way where you don't say, okay, we're, we're going to make America a great country for Americans, and that means uh, we don't want any Poles, we don't want any Jews, we don't want any Italians? I mean, this happened 100 years sure, ago. Sure, yeah. So
2: no, how, look, how do you create human, a NAS. human hatred and ex- yep. exclusiveness is also natural and a very uh, bad phenomenon? You honor our ideals and you honor the symbols and the history that unite us and should unite us. This isn't hard to do. You know, it's the American flag, it's the founding fathers, it's Abraham Lincoln, it's a declaration of independence in the United States Constitution, it's citizenship ceremonies, it's all that. And the fact is, that is under threat and is largely under threat from the left that has a sense of the nation state being small, grubby, necessarily hateful and exclusionary. And that's just wrong. Brian, how do you respond to something like that?
3: What i like to say is that, in answer to your earlier question, what harm do I actually see going on? The really big one is I think nationalism is the main reason why people oppose immigration. There's a lot of other arguments. But as you're going to find out tonight at the Open Borders on trial, immigration is actually fantastic and we should have a whole ton of it and I think nationalism is actually what really bothers people about it. In terms of the other more concrete harm, I think if you just look at the last two big wars, the Afghan and Iraq wars, Opposition of those was very muted because if you don't support it, you are disloyal. You're a traitor. You're terrible. And yet what happens at the end is like, oh, well, we fought the wars. A lot of people died and now we're just bored, and we're going to walk away. And again, like even at the end, is, that, like, is there like, oh, God, our nation really screwed up. We made some terrible mistakes one way or another. No, it's like our nation's great. We can't criticize us. Let's move on. Learn nothing. Continue.
1: Do you see anything positive from generating a national identity over time? And it's interesting because mm-hmm. when you look at World War II, the Axis powers all in profound ways were new countries, were new national identities that have been knitted together in the nineteenth century or the early twentieth century. So that's terrible. You know, mm-hmm. when Germany became Germany, it became a bad thing. When Italy became Italy, it became a fascist, you know, expansionary force. Mm-hmm. But are there positive things to having, what the American identity, whatever that might be.
3: Yeah, again, I'm not dogmatic. There are always positives of almost anything you can think of. Hitler built Audubons, right? Right. (laughs) All right, but the important thing to remember is this. It's a positive if you've got a people where they have a much better idea about how to do things and if they can break off peacefully, like the Baltics. That's a case where you sprinkle some nationalism on and then it puts you over the edge and then you get something good to happen but it's coincidental with having a way, a, an actual likelihood of improving things, combined with fortuitous circumstances that you can do it peacefully, those cases worked out. Normally it does not work out, and instead we just get the actual result, which are very grim, right? The normal result of new nations forming the 20th century has been a bloodbath.
2: But what you're missing is part of human flourishing is self-government. It is the honor that comes of making important decisions for yourself. And the reason why these empires, these great empires, that began to break up in the 19th century broke up is because they depended on oppression, right? They had an imperial center and it governed everywhere else. It set the rules for everywhere else. And the constituent peoples are like, no, we don't like that. We want to govern ourselves. And as soon as the element of coercion was lifted, they went their own way. We saw it with the Russian empire you know, twice. There was a traditional Russian empire that broke up uh, with World War I, the end of World War I. And then there was this Soviet empire that, broke down when its legitimacy could no longer be defended. But why should anyone else govern the polls besides the Poles? Yeah, why should anyone else govern the French besides the French? Why should anyone else govern the United States of America other than Americans? And this way, I think Brian's answer that would be okay for us to be governed by Mexico City is deeply wrong and anti-human flourishing. Everyone in the room, even if you like the policies, would be unhappier with that arrangement. I Brian, a uh, quick rejoinder. Just- yeah.
3: So it's rich that's deeply wrong. The real story in the 19th century is almost everyone in, say, the Austro Hungarian Empire was fine with it. There's a few loudmouth intellectuals who are saying, <laughs> We're Serbs, we're Czechs, this is super important, it's worth an ocean of blood to get our independence. Most people barely cared, they grew up with it. Same thing with the anti colonial movements. Most people in the empires of Europe were content with the system, and guess what? It so like was the, worse. It was, after independence, it was worse. The Vietnamese were happy Ch- yeah, to yes, be governed by the yes. French. Yes. Chadians mm-hmm. governing Chads does not mean anything other than a few fanatical Chadian nationalists and so, so just as a historical matter the Vietnamese ruins.
2: were okay with being governed by another power if the other power knows better than us they, but they were okay not you they the Vietnamese were okay with it as a historical matter you're telling me they were okay with it but in the end no no, 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 no yes no. they were so, happy with it. Yes, let's most people in Vietnam barely even cared
3: I will say that but they're largely yes. happy with it, being governed by the French largely happy with it. They were less unhappy than they this, were That's not true. That's, yeah. I mean, look, what, you're going to defend what happened in Vietnam? That's crazy. I mean, look, here's yes, the real story. Yeah, that's yes, not what I said. I asked
2: whether the Vietnamese happy like, to be governed by a colonial power. Are most people happy yes. to be governed by a colonial power? But also, I, there, you there, know, yes. Right, a how few
3: intellectuals it? who didn't like it. Most other people barely cared. There's that's Another my way of making that is, are most
1: of us happy being governed by Washington? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're almost a foreign power at this point. Talk talk a little bit about the universalism that is implicit in the way that you talk about libertarianism and Christianity because, and I think Brian is also talking about this a bit, like, you know, it's one thing for us to talk about what's going on in America or within a nation, but does does a rise in American nationalism, does that mean that people in far flung parts of the
4: world are going to do worse? It or better? Could. Well, it could. I mean, we've seen how <clears throat> American interventionism has been a net bad on the whole. We know this to be true. We see this over and over again, as Brian was alluding to, the course, of, for instance, the more recent Middle Eastern conflicts. Yeah. It also, I think, actually does have a net bad when it comes to doing what we do as Christians. As we are trying to spread a particular message that is transnational and that we have superior allegiance to, to any other power— when other powers, such as any government whatsoever, yeah. decides that they're going to they're, they take precedence that their allegiance matters most, then we lose as so Christians. You render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but you—that's yeah. not we the can, whole ball. We of should land. question what Caesar's yeah. is to begin with.
3: Brian, quick point. Yeah. How much do people actually care about what country they belong to? We have a great experiment. When Germany beat France in the Franco-Prussian War, the people in the French territories that Germany seized were given the option to leave. About five percent left. Out of the remaining people there, almost 95% just said, fine, we'll just stay here. They still voted for French parties, but in terms of actually caring enough to move 50 miles west, very few did. This is the real story of nationalism. It is a verbal allegiance that actually barely matters to people other than a few people who are professional intellectuals who plan on ruling.
1: All right, we're going to end there. I want to commend Rich Lowry, Brian Kaplan, and Norman Horn for talking to us about, you know, the rise of nationalism and its effect on people. Please make sure to go to the Libertarian Christian Institute's session at 310. 310 and 2022. Yeah, about a Christian response to rising uh, nationalism here. Thanks very much.